Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Learning Out Loud. Today, we're joined by Alex Zaretta, a 2013 graduate of the University of Virginia School of Engineering and a 2021 graduate of the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. Alex is also a lecturer at the UVA McIntyre School of Commerce and previously served as a university startup business development manager at Amazon Web Services. In this role, Alex used the insights he gleaned during the years he spent at the university as the Assistant Director of Technology Entrepreneurship, during which he quadrupled the number of students graduating from the university with a full-time startup to pursue. In this episode, we discuss with Alex the framework he developed in how to coach student entrepreneurs and the system of entrepreneurship in universities as a whole. Enjoy. Learning Out Loud is excited to announce that we're forming a partnership with College Contact. College Contact is a technology platform that connects high school students with college undergraduates for affordable and accessible college admissions advising. In short, your student gets to meet with a current college student at their favorite university. Once you set up an initial meeting with College Contact, they'll match your high school to a college student based on your preferences. This college student will mentor and advise your high schooler through the entire process, from forming a college list to brainstorming, writing, and editing college essays to applying for scholarships and financial aid. The best part, it's extremely affordable, with hourly sessions starting at just $60 an hour with our 20% off discount code, Learning Out Loud. Just to, to get started, if you want to give us about a, a two to five minute overview about how you went through UVA and then where you are now, and then the, uh, you know, the back and forth to Amazon and back to the university, we'd love to hear that. Oh, yeah, I'll try to keep it uh, concise. It's a winding journey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. man. Uh, I, um, I came from Northern Virginia. I went to UVA. Um, and that's like 30% of people are from Northern Virginia who go to that university. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I actually did a lot of like more humanity stuff in high school. Like I was really all about like the French language. I was president of the French honor society. And I'm proud to say that now <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was super into languages and all that. I thought I wanted to study that. Also kind of interested in like philosophy. I did this like extended essay, which is the capstone of the IB program. Yeah, yeah we both did IB, so. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> well, mine was, mine was on the source of morality, which I tried to tackle in 4,000 words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Easy. Uh, yeah, but it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And then what was the other higher level I had? It was biology, but you know, I think I fell in love with biology because like I had a really great teacher. Um, and then so when I got here, I was like, well, I should probably do something like m meaningful or I guess like something that make me money, you know, so I'm not just going to be, <laughs> I don't know, working at a coffee shop with a humanities degree. Uh, and so I decided to go into engineering and I decided to do biomedical engineering because I had a great biology class. Honestly, these were not great reasons to do any of that. Um, I forgot the fact that I only got through the last year of, of math because like calculus uh, one, I think was the... Uh, the senior level class in my high school. I was like, this is my last year of having to take math classes. And then I did engineering. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I did that. Yeah. But, you know, I was fine. You know, I was able to learn stuff. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I did biomedical engineering. I, I was kind of interested in the brain, brain and all that. And I thought for some reason we could do like neuroscience and engineering, but like, we don't know enough about the brain to be doing any sort of like engineering, or at least we didn't know then. So then I thought I was like, you know, this is great. I'll get a degree, but then maybe I can like make a career as like a musician or an entertainer. Cause I like to play the guitar. That was fun. I like entertaining people, um, being on stage. <clears throat> but then I realized that I don't really like writing music. I like performing music. And so I just, I didn't put a lot of energy into that. Um, 
what I did know was that I really didn't want to go back to school again. I was sick of being in school. I wanted to just go and, and do something else. Um, but my backup plan from biomedical engineering was that I was going to go to grad school to get a, a PhD. Because I think when I was graduating, I was like, well, I got <laughs> to make sure I'm not unemployed. And I want to do something meaning, I do something meaningful with my life. Maybe that's where this all got started. I wanted to do something meaningful with my life, have an impact, change the world. Um, and I think that's how I got uh, connected to this independent um student-led research team called iGEM, which is, um, yeah, yeah. iGEM's a synthetic biology research, like a science fair thing that happens every year. The team comes together and like the previous student-led team teaches the new uh, student-led team all about synthetic biology. You plan experiments, you spend the summer doing the experiments. And that's what that really means is failing all of the experience experiments, like nothing really actually works. Um, and then you uh, you publish on a wiki and you go present at this like international jamboree with all sorts of people. That was so fun. Um, and that's usually where the project stopped. Our project, though, um, we decided to carry into this entrepreneurship competition. And that was because one of the people on our team, he was always looking for different opportunities. And he was like, hey, like it says, do you have a crazy idea? You could win $20,000 and like, you don't have to do anything with it. You just have the idea and prove how you're going to change the world. And I was like, well, I'm changing the world. We're changing the world. That's what we're doing here. So let's let's go show those business people, you know, what what actual, you know, good concepts look like. Very, you know, a lot of hubris coming from the, uh, the engineers. Um, <laughs> I think looking back, uh, I had this interesting notion that I think people who went to go get undergraduate business degrees uh, were there because they didn't really actually want to study in school. They just wanted a degree to go out into the world. Um, I've I've since learned a lot since then. Um, but yeah, <laughs> engineering was definitely hard. Um, but what I started to realize through that process was that um, like uh, entrepreneurship was just an extension of engineering. The engineers, they go and solve, they go identify problems. Uh, they define them, then they solve them, and they make them work. But then the entrepreneur makes sure that somebody wants it. Um, so I, uh, yeah, we won the competition, twenty thousand dollars, and we were like, "Oh, great! I, like, we're gonna go make this new biotech company and like, you know, change the world." And I got to meet a lot of cool people um, who cared about helping entrepreneurs at the University of Virginia. Had a huge appreciation for that. And then we started meeting people out in the wider Charlottesville uh, area. And I started realizing just how much there is for student entrepreneurs and just entrepreneurs in general um, trying to create you know, world-changing companies uh, out of Charlottesville, which I should mention, coming from Northern Virginia down to Charlottesville, I was like, oh my God, there's just farmland here. There's not <laughs> even a Costco. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got a Costco in 2015 though. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I graduated in 2013. So, um, so, so we did that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so somehow, somewhere on the way, we were like, wait a second, we actually need like money for this. And and someone was like, well, you could get a grant. There was this translational research grant that we were able to get um, that paid for the first two years out of college uh, for me. Um, I was making half a salary that I would have if I just gone and get it, got a job, but I was doing it because I love doing it. And I was treating it like an entrepreneurial venture the way that I guess popular culture at the time, you know, like also culture as they'll call it now. Um, think like Gary Vaynerchuk, if you've ever listened to his kind of stuff, where like, if you're not doing 80 hours a week grinding on your startup in your 20s, then you're wasting your time. Like, that's honestly what the culture was like. Um, student entrepreneurship was very big. We had Hacksteville coming online at the University of Virginia. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we did that for two years. And I, I spent 80 hours a week going in that lab, building our product. And what our product was, was a uh, we were making it so you could detect bacterial infection with a pregnancy test. 
Mm. Uh, so super cheap. And you could get people who don't have access to diagnostics like that, just like a, a rough thing that would lead them to go um, to the, like a doctor, which may be, you know, two days walk away if they're in a, a certain, like certain developing countries. Um, but we decided to prove it out in E. coli because we thought that ground beef, people needed that for ground beef. And uh, yeah, after two years, um, someone was like, hey, you should go talk to some customers. <laughs> and so yeah. we did. Uh, we talked to like five people and within like, I don't know, like a couple of days, it was we, it was pretty clear that we'd done the wrong thing. We should have gone after Listeria because apparently artisan cheesemakers uh, were getting, uh, the FDA was going to crack down on them very soon. And they were like, oh my God, this would be so huge. <laughs> so uh, that would have been an easy fix in the beginning. Um, but no, along, along the way, um, so the, during those two years, I've been like, wait a second, why didn't anyone tell me when I was coming in, hey, you know, like you as a student, like there's a lot of resources and you can get a grant like this. You can win a competition like this. And if you just go talk to some customers or other stakeholders uh, from the outset, like by the time of graduation, you could have something that actually is going to change the world. Um, there's totally enough here in Charlottesville. So I started helping younger students and I loved it and I was really good at it. So when my project didn't quite work out, I had already been working with the engineering school a little bit. They had hired someone um, named Liz Pyle at the engineering school who was an entrepreneur um, and we had worked sort of closely together. So when my project wasn't really going anywhere, I went to Liz and I was like, Liz, what do I do? You're accomplished in the business world. Like you're a career professional. What do I do? And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't want to be in the lab. I want to be working with you doing entrepreneurship stuff, like helping these student entrepreneurs. And she's like, well, hold that thought. And so she was able to, um, well, she and I, we co-created a position for me in the engineering school where I was a consultant at first, like getting paid with net 45 day terms. So that's like you do the work and you invoice and you get paid 45 days later. Uh, with no benefits or anything like that. Um, so that was what I did for the first year. And then that converted into a full-time position where I spent uh, four years at the engineering school. And I was really, really obsessed with this problem um, because what I realized was that like I, like UVA was doing great things with entrepreneurship education, um, especially co-curricularly, co-curricularly. So like outside the classroom, we had really good stuff. Like a lot of other schools, you know, like Stanford, Harvard, MIT, like Berkeley, they have all the great things that we had, competitions, an accelerator program, um, hackathons, student clubs, um, angel groups around town, like the, all the stuff. But um, I was like, something's missing. Um, and so, you know, I made that my startup basically. Uh, and I spent, you know, 80 hours a week grinding, you know, like the very Gary Vaynerchuk way. And I ended up uh, doing research on it. I published a paper that was like, I don't know, it was like 150, you know, sources that I was looking at, presented my research at conferences, which by the way, this was not in the job description. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to 500 student entrepreneurs. Um, or I guess students interested in doing projects. And I started to learn a lot about like how, what the actual nature of the problem is and how you might design a program that actually, actually, um, um, I guess creates or transforms people from the kinds of student that I was, right? Coming in, not knowing about entrepreneurship into like having a viable venture upon graduation. So um, all told, like uh, I created a program that um, quadrupled the number of students graduating with full-time startups. Uh, upon graduation, wow. which is unheard of of a place like like UVA. And we got 13 of them, uh, last I counted, funded by Y Combinator or Techstars um, now. And the secret there was um, basically, well, we, I mean, we'll go into that later, but there was a metric that I developed on like how how fast someone is progressing as an entrepreneur based on their like level of engagement uh, on their projects, not their idea itself. 
And then by putting people who are super engaged around each other, um, you create a little culture of entrepreneurship and they all help each other, keep each other accountable, share resources and are the best mentors that you can find, get. Uh, in, instead of having a program where people just like apply to it and that's that's the entrepreneurship program. It's more right. of like you've seen them over time and you put them together. Um, that was the secret there. Um, okay, so I did that, right? Published it, but I got a little bit burned out because like I was, our program was very successful um and i should mention we did it it wasn't just me it wasn't just the engineering school like we were collaborating across the entire university with people who were in like the mcintyre school of commerce darden school of business um some people in the college of arts and sciences the medical school like we had like all sorts of people uh helping um and uh so yeah but i, I got a little bit burned out because the school itself like the administrators the deans and all of that especially we got a new dean basically like halfway through and he didn't care about entrepreneurship and he cared about research and he didn't care about undergrads as much. He cared about graduate students. Um, he's, he's now since gone. Um, but that was, it was really hard to work with that because we were finding success, but we never really had more budget. And I was getting stretched in different directions, ended up teaching like a creativity class, um, which was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so I, I decided to go do something else. I was like, I need to go do something else because clearly this isn't a career path for me. My mom was also like, what are you doing? Like, you're just like, <laughs> You're still making less than you would have you just got, got a job. Um, so yeah, anyway, I ended up playing to, to grad. I ended up applying to grad school. Um, was going to go to data science because it was fifty thousand dollars in tuition, and like the average salary coming out was a hundred thousand. So I was like, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And if I wanted to start my own little startup, I could use all the resources at a university, right, to get grants and competitions and all that. Um, so after applying, I ended up starting a company with one of my friends, and we got into Y Combinator which was fun. Um, but then I found out that um, I, I also applied to business school at, at Darden. That, that I, I found out that they gave me a scholarship to go for free. And so now I was looking at like, run this company, you know, funded by Y Combinator, every entrepreneur's dream, or go to business school with this full scholarship. Um, and it was a really hard decision, but I, I ended up, uh, I ended up uh, choosing to go to business school. Um, because what I realized was that I had more interest in helping my co-founder get his idea off the ground than I was interested in starting and running that business necessarily. Mm. So after business school, um, I then, well, yeah, I'm trying to keep this short. I'm sorry. Like storytelling oh, is, no worries. Worries. This is awesome. Yeah. But uh, after, after business school, um, I started, um, I started working just like freelance stuff with people that I had known, like other entrepreneurs. I started working for this one entrepreneur, uh, he started Zealot Interactive, which is like, this is like a Netflix of guitar education videos uh, paired with this thin strip of LED lights that connects to the app software and shows you where to put your fingers. Um, so that was cool. Um, and, but like when I was in business school, I had met these people from Amazon Web Services who were working with universities and they were trying to like find the best entrepreneurs at at the universities by having people apply to be scouts and uh and then like they would just like identify the entrepreneurs and like send them up to the guys uh, the guys the, the people who work at uh, aws and i i applied for it because i was like i know where all the entrepreneurs are and uh, when, I, when i had the meeting with the person who ran it his name was vince he was like uh well i said you know i'm, I'm graduating in like two months but i figured like i'd help you kind of like orient here oh by the way i think that your entire approach to this is wrong <laughs> the kind of 
you guys are doing this completely the wrong way. And he was like, wait, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I wrote this paper here. I'm like, how do you actually find the entrepreneurs? What are they like? Like, and I'll tell you that the kinds of students that you're going to pick for being scouts, they're resume chasers, right? Who um, are, they're just like different types of people than the entrepreneurs who don't really care about the resume stuff. Um, the entrepreneurs who are like really building cool stuff are not going to the student clubs. They're not out in the public. They're, they're not even really good networkers. And so no matter how good of a student you have, who's trying to learn how to find where the entrepreneurs are, they'll be going out to events and, you know, putting all that stuff. Like they're not going to find these people. And when they meet, like they're not necessarily, it's a different skill set to be able to gain the trust of uh, one of these entrepreneurs. Um, and he was like, that's interesting. I was like, yeah. Um, I just figured I'd tell you that. He's like, you should talk to my boss. So I talked to his boss. And then again, I had nothing to lose. So I was like, yeah, what you guys are doing is I think it's completely not going to work. Here's what I would do. And so we talked about it. He's like, you should join our team. And I was like, wait, really? He's like, I wish you could join our team. But like, there's no way. I don't know how we'd like start even. Uh, we'll, we'll have to work on that. And I was like, OK, like whatever. But then like 18 months went by and he came back to me. He's like, all right, Vince, the original guy, Vince is leaving the team. So we have an opening. And Vince was like, if you're going to replace me, you got to get that guy, Alex, in here. And so they made the process happen. Um, and so I started working at Amazon, uh, Amazon Web Services in their startups division with this three-person university team for all of North America. And what they wanted me to do was take what I had done at UVA, uh, which was a system for like working with like many, many students and finding who the high potential entrepreneurs are. Um, and they wanted me to do that for like 40 schools across North America or, or more, however many that we could get it to scale to. And so I was like, sign me up for that. Um, and I was I was on a roll, you know, making that happen until uh, recently when they decided to cut the university's team. Um, so so I'll stop there. I'm sorry. I, I could go on forever, but uh, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> That's awesome. So before we jump into all this stuff about entrepreneurs and quantifying that and looking through, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on when you were deciding between going to Darden for to get your MBA and then pursuing the Y Combinator startup, what was that decision-making process like for you to be able to sit down and have the realization that it was more the helping people to get their startups off the ground than having your own? I feel like that's a really introspective thing to kind of come to the realization of, especially when you're presented with two great options. So how, what was that process like? You know, I... <laughs> I almost don't remember. Uh, I know it was messy. It was very messy. And I don't wish that experience upon anybody, but I know that it will happen to all of us at one point in time. You'll be faced with this big dilemma. Um, and what it took was uh, I, I had a lot of people that I went to and I talked to about it and they gave me their strategies for how they would do this. And so part of it was just like every day writing out all of my thoughts, just getting it out there on paper and then reviewing it later, maybe the next day or a couple of days later, and just like looking at it with a more like sober, I guess, way when, when you're like as more detached from it. Um, I, and it's, you know, when I was talking to people like from day to day, my, where I stood on it changed. Like I'd wake up one morning and be like, oh, you know, I'm going to white Combinator. Like, this is exactly what I want to do. I'm, I'm applying to grad school because I want to start a business, right? I want to do, I want to do this. That's why I got into this. And then the next day it would be like, yeah, but like, I, I don't know, like business school, right? Like it's, yeah, I could learn a lot of this stuff and, you know, there get, that is a lot, it's a huge opportunity. And maybe like I could start a startup that like I'm more interested in necessarily. Cause like, I liked what we were doing, but like, 
it wasn't like exactly geared to what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I'd, I wake up and, you know, be on the, the side of, you know, going to YC again. Um, so it was just, it's really hard. Um, but it, I guess you could call it an intuitive process. I tried to make it as rational as possible, but at the end of the day, it's, it's you, uh, being attuned to like the signals that like you're getting from your body. I'm trying not to be too like spiritual or like woo about this. because it's not- <laughs> <laughs> But like, honestly, like a, a big part of this, like you could look at things rationally, but like you have to assign value to some of these facts and mm-hmm. that value can only be decided by you. It can't come through anybody else. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Like when you said that you were asking a lot of different people about it, a lot of times when I do that and like someone gives me an answer my reaction to it like let's say it's the answer that I didn't want then that that's like all I needed to know like I had the feeling like okay I didn't want them to tell me that so like I actually wanted the other choice I don't know if that makes sense oh um, exactly I'm the worst at this because like so, and I learned this about myself in that process was that I would actively argue against them and they'd be like what what are you doing like I'm trying to help you and it's like no no, no <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really grateful you're helping me I just I need to be devil's advocate so like you be strong in your argument let me just play this side of it out and yeah. so I frustrated a lot of a lot of my friends yeah so are you happy with your choice of going to business school like do you think that it benefited you yes absolutely um that role at amazon was exactly what i wanted to do i had no idea that that even existed and how would i have found it um how would i have even been qualified for it number 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 two because even if i had kept staying with uva and made like an amazing continue with an amazing program a corporation like amazon like part of the job description there is you have to have like an MBA in order to be in this, this business unit, or you have to have a master's degree in some sort. So without knowing it, I I was creating the qualifications for myself that made it possible to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that's really interesting. Okay. So when you had this, um, this system at UVA, could you tell us a little bit about how you were quantifying the engagement the entrepreneurs had with their projects and what exactly you were looking for in the student and in the way that they went about their idea. Yeah. So uh, you have to remember, like I said, that we were a very small team with not really a lot of budget. (laughs) So I was balancing being a practitioner of like implementing, designing and implementing the programs and taking data and analyzing the data (laughs) and all that. So I was trying to optimize for like some sort of metric, something I could use that would be really simple and easy without a lot of maintenance. Um, And so it kind of, I would be meeting with these entrepreneurs and I started noticing that you could, after multiple meetings, you could, you could bucket them into like three different types of a, of student entrepreneur. And the one is the person who's like super engaged. Like you can tell from the moment you meet them that like, they're going to make something incredible. And over over the years, I've been able to start to express what that is. Um, basically when you first meet them, they're excited, right? And they're talking intelligently about what they're working on. They've clearly got all the details um, and that's great, right? But like most students at UVA can talk about that kind of thing intelligently. That's how they got into the university. But what matters is like, what did they do between the first time you met them and the second time that you meet them? Um, And so usually the first time you'll end it with like, okay, great. Well, here's what I would do next. Go talk to this person, go read this thing, uh, go talk to some customers don't be like me, right? Um, or like whatever it is, they have to go do something. And when you meet them again, the person who's really, really engaged is going to not only do what you had talked about, 
but they're going to have like 10 other things that they've done or have questions about or more people that they're asking you to meet on like on like LinkedIn or whatever. They're like, I see you're connected to this person. Can you introduce me? And so um, that's the uh, super engaged person. Um, someone who's like on the cusp of being there, but like not quite there is someone who will just do what you had covered with them. They're like, okay, I went and I read this book. I talked to five customers. Um, I made this little prototype right here. Like what's next? And this is a really smart student who has potential. So like, that's, that's the person that I was right then who like was waiting for permission, um, basically from other people to do the next thing. And I think that that's what a lot of smart people at, at universities who have potential to be entrepreneurs, that, that's what they're like. Um, but many programs fail to convert them from that into that first category of, of an entrepreneur who's like clearly like engaged in it. Uh, then there's the third kind of person who like you meet them again and um, they're like, oh, you know, I was I had so much homework, you know, it was vacation, you know, my family, like I got sick, you know, my, my dog ate my homework. <laughs> hmm. uh, <laughs> and it's like, OK, well, uh, you know what to do, you know, let's let's meet again later. So um, it's never a no. Right. It's, it's a not yet with all of these students. But clearly you want to engage with the person who's at that, that first level more. Uh, and then generally, like people will stabilize in one of these levels and you can figure out quickly who you should put more time into. But what's really interesting is that you can't discount that third level of person because often many people come back to me two, three years later and they're like, hey, you know, like I'm I think I'm ready to like really get serious about this. And you're the first person I thought of because of that first meeting that we had or first two meetings we had like two or three years ago. So, yeah. So how do you think that people when I say people, I'm not really sure who I'm referring to. I guess universities, um, accelerators, just or any other people that you have in mind. Like, how do you think that they can utilize this system? I know that you were saying that if the first group of people, if they're around the group that's on the cusp, then the group that's on the cusp will start to uh, go into that other group. Are there other ways that you see this system being used besides just like putting those people together? Yeah. Um, the system being used. So what a lot of people want to do is they want to make these formal programs with applications and interviews, because that's the easiest way to do it. Um, but with entrepreneurship, like a lot of it has to be, has to, it has to come from internal motivation. So instead of having, for instance, an application process where, you know, you apply, right. And tell us your, your business idea, right. And then we'll invite you for some interviews and we'll ask you about your company. Um, that's like a couple of weeks long or maybe a couple of months long. You don't make it formal. You stretch it out over years, right? And you watch them for you know maybe six months if they're moving fast or two years, for instance. And then when you have a critical mass of people, you then bring them into a program that's basically, uh, I guess, invite only, right? And it's it's accessible. It's open to all. This is where it gets kind of weird, right? Because like if you're at a university, you want to make it a fair and open process, but like. The fair and open process should be if you're if you're actually putting in the work time after time. And if you've got a metric like the one that I'm describing, right, where you're able to show like, hey, this is what's going on, um, you you end up being able to make whatever that formal synchronous experience like a class right around entrepreneurship that much better for the peers, the students who are actually um, in there. Um, so that's that's probably the first way that, that I would that I would use it. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. It's almost like a, like a one-sided mirror where you can watch the students and they're doing their own thing and almost the fact that they don't know that they're trying out for this program or that they're being understood from this level is helping to understand exactly what they are doing as true to themselves and not 
trying to impress for an interview or for a tech startup or whatever else. Exactly. And the other thing I should notice is that at every meeting you have with someone who's along this process, right, you should, from from my perspective, I always tried to like be valuable in some way to them, giving mm-hmm. them a connection or a resource or, or something to help them along their way. It wasn't that I was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really, you know, testing them or anything like that. I was trying to help them um, at every, every stage. Yeah, that makes sense. So I don't know if I just missed this when you were explaining it, but were you intentionally, like, were you thinking, oh, I want to write a paper to like create a metric for how you could predict entrepreneurs or how did you even think to like create this metric in the first place? I think I was doing it uh, just because I needed to uh, allocate my time in certain ways. Um, so that was kind of bubbling up, but then when I was doing the research, <clears throat> so I, I looked up all the, all the different studies and the meta-analyses that had been done on entrepreneurship education programs and all the thoughts for or against. Um, and basically what I found was that in, if you're trying to create a program to, to create an entrepreneur, right? Someone who's, who's not already going to do it anyways, um, you need to figure out what an entrepreneur is. And mm-hmm. from the research, there was three things that uh, an entrepreneur needed. One was the entrepreneurial intention, which is that's that's their way of saying uh, what I was trying to say between that second and first category. The person who's like really doing it, like they're they're doing this, like they can't help but do this, right? That entrepreneurial intention. The second one is entrepreneurial competencies, of which there are skills, knowledge, and traits, and these are really hard to separate because perseverance, negotiation, public speaking, persuasion, right? You you can kind of bucket them into one or multiple of those. Um, and so, yeah, so skills, knowledge, and traits. And then the third one is a high quality opportunity, um, which is both defined by like they're interested in going after it. And it also has a large enough market potential that it's, um, you know, it's not like a lemonade stand, you know, on the corner. Although, hey, you know, that might be super valuable. So like, who's to say what a quality opportunity is? Um, and the thing about uh, these entrepreneurship programs, so I looked at that, it was, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was uh, measuring uh, these entrepreneurship education programs against those qualities. And so the studies showed that like, they're really good at, at giving you entrepreneurial skills. Like you can do pitching, right? You can understand what, uh, you know, discounted cash flow analysis is or financial modeling um, or, you know, or budgeting or, you know, I think I said pitching to investors, like all those skills that are there. You can get the knowledge, right? Around like, this is how it works. And there's VC money that's in there. And here's a safe and a convertible note. And this is a series A round. And this is, you know, customer discovery, you know, and all that. But the traits are the hardest part. How do you, how do you give someone perseverance? Like, how, how do you do it? Right. Um, <clears throat> you could argue that like in the class, they get to simulate it and then they, they get perseverance that way. Uh, but the uh, the data shows that no no you you can't you can't really do that, and mm-hmm. what's funny is that um no sorry yeah sorry before I go on the it, you can't do that which and then you can also give them a high quality opportunity so by someone going and studying like uh, I don't know the depths of philosophy that could be a special opportunity they could find something in even a philosophy degree by specializing in that that gives them an opportunity um, there were things that I found in the literature that was like um, the um, mentors in a program who are super highly entrepreneurial, um, they didn't actually induce people to have that entrepreneurial intention. But what they were able to do was to help those who had the entrepreneurial intention, you know, 
have more of it, right? Which is really interesting. Another thing we found was that in a, it was a meta-analysis, I think, of North American uh, universities and their entrepreneurship programs. Um, this was addressing the idea that like, oh, well, you know, it, it's not in the classroom, but it's in these extracurricular activities, like the clubs and the hackathons and the uh, and the competitions and, and all this. Um, they found that there was a negative correlation between the number of uh, extracurricular or co-curricular um, entrepreneurship offerings at a university and the uh, number of entrepreneurs that were coming out of that university in a particular year. So yeah. the statistical, there's no like error bars in this. So I, I mean, they're, or they're not very big. So like, I don't know if that's statistically significant, but that was a really interesting thing. Uh, at best, it's negligible, right? So, so this got me thinking, um, and this is really where we're kind of going to is like, I think that there's uh, almost like an emperor wears no, uh, no clothes moment where we're spending billions. I don't know what the exact figure is. I couldn't find it anywhere, but we're, we're clearly spending billions on promoting entrepreneurship in the US and globally. There is an accelerator in multiple accelerators in every single city. All like small towns you know, are getting accelerators, right? And um, there's just the idea that promoting entrepreneurship is really, really good. It's a silver bullet for, um, for like getting a good economy you know, off the ground. It's the way to prosperity for... Um, for uh, the the lower lower um, economic um, strata in the world, right? So they're promoting it, right? And there's um, in 2012 there was like 1,500 uh, entrepreneurship degree programs uh, around like the United States, <laughs> right? Like I'm talking like majors, right? Yeah. And there's entire schools for entrepreneurship. But what's not clear is that they're actually creating any more entrepreneurs. Wow. Hmm. That's the data from the Kaufman Center uh, for Entrepreneurship, they've been, uh, there's like indicators of entrepreneurship, uh, particularly in the US. And one indicator uh, that they've been tracking is the rate of new entrepreneurs per year uh, since like the, the mid 90s. Um, and in the last 25 years, if you, if you look at it, like you pull it up, like nothing's really changed. Sometimes hmm. it goes up in like recessions, right? But like, not really. And again, there's no statistical significance on here. So like, we have no idea. Um, which is great for people who are in this industry because they're like, yeah, entrepreneurship, give us money. Like we could totally do this. Like, oh yeah, you know, tuition, like, you know, like come one, come all uh, students, you should, you should take our entrepreneurship class because you're going to be an entrepreneur. Like you just got to like learn about this, right? There's all this money pouring in, but nobody's actually linked programs that are supposed to increase entrepreneurship with an increase in entrepreneurship. And I think that from the data from the Kauffman Center, just, it's just not happening. So like, what the hell are we doing? Um, so I'm, I've become really interested in this in this problem, and I've obviously dedicated the, you know my entire career at this point to uh, solving it because it is important. I think that it is important, and entrepreneurship is you know really important to a thriving economy. And um, we could much better use the uh, the dollars that are being spent right now. Yeah, that's very interesting. So so just to clarify, in all these studies, when we talk about producing entrepreneurs, those are students who are graduating or dropping out of universities with startups instead of going to a job, right? That's how you're, you're defining that? Uh, you're talking about the Kauffman Center's indicators of entrepreneurship? Yeah. So they're, they're not related to universities at all, at least in what I was just quoting there. Um, they just like in general across, across the world, they do break it out by different categories. Like I think one is 20 to 34 and one's like 35 to 40 something. And and I'll, they'll break it out there. And they'll also break it out by level of degree, like less than high school, high school, college degree, graduate degree. They'll also break it out by immigrants or or, uh, or domestic. Um, I actually was teaching an intro to entrepreneurship class. I had 200 and 266 students <laughs> over five sections. 
Um, and one of the activities I did was I, I pulled up the Kauffman Center metrics and I was basically asking them, what would you assume is, is higher? Like this group or, or that group or whatever. And mm -hmm. we had a discussion around it, which was super interesting because some of them are, are not the case. Um, and one of the things is, uh, so the, the, the university segment would be 20 to 34, right? So you could argue like right after graduation or we gave them the entrepreneurial skills to have confidence that when they work for five or 10 years, then they're going to go start a business. Nope. Actually, the highest one that's out there is and always has been uh, people who are like late 40s, early 50s. Hmm. That's when most people start their businesses and are successful at it. And so the college entrepreneur isn't isn't really actually like a, a thing, even though we've we've you know with the social network that was one thing, and like Snapchat came out of there, like all sorts of great college entrepreneurs. Um, I think that there are great entrepreneurs that come through college, but like we could do a lot better, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm not convinced that our programs actually are doing anything more than uh, if, if we had that before. I'll say one more thing on this, and that is the definition of an entrepreneur. I think at its core is someone who is highly resourceful. If you had to break it down to one trait, it is someone who is resourceful. They will use what they have to make value in the world that's greater than when they started. So the idea of giving resources to an entrepreneur, yeah, great. I, yeah, sure. You know, make it easier for them. But like, you're, you're, that's like giving someone, you know, like a, a like a, like tearing off a piece of bread for them and being like, okay, great. Now uh, you got to go feed yourself. It's like, okay, well, they ate for like, you know, that one meal, but like, are you actually helping them long-term? Um, right. It's a good thing, right? But like, imagine if you could actually really help them long-term. Um, and for those people who are in that first category, like they don't really need that. It's helping them, but they don't really need that. Um, they still have to go out and be resourceful. But where we can help people is like, imagine if you put that money into something that actually works to help people become more resourceful. And we, we haven't figured that out. And I think that's the that's the holy grail of education in general. Um, Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here before I keep rambling. <laughs> so, have you seen it firsthand? I mean, I guess you have, right? That you've seen it firsthand of the people in the first group, um, making the people in the second group, the people on the cusp, like more into that first group. Where have you seen that yourself? Yeah, exactly. It's 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 hard to say, right? Because you know, like, how do how do we get a statistically significant you know study of all of this it's really hard um but one of my favorite examples of what i had seen was that when i started early on um i mentioned that i had been volunteering to help younger students right after i graduated so i graduated in 2013 and there was a student in the 2015 graduation year who <clears throat> i met him when he was a third year and i was like hey you know anybody want to try to win this entrepreneurship competition, you know, get some money for your idea. Um, something that'll change the world and be more like engineering or technology related. And there was a student who was like, hey, you know, I'm interested in this. I'm pre-med. I'm really interested in reproductive health and I am going to go to med school. Um, but I have this, you know, crazy idea. Like, it seems like there's a prize that's out there. Like it's a $25 million prize for anyone who can humanely sterilize male cats and dogs. Because right now, or at least back then, it was like chemical castration, which you would never do to a person ever. It's it's not even, it's 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 awful. And so he was like, I'm gonna go after that. So he did. And you know, he he made a customer discovery and he got uh there was a researcher who was really great with reproductive health at UVA that he got connected with and they were a team. Um and he went and was talking to like vet techs who did this. Um and he talked to like a hundred of them. 
and he, he did win the entrepreneurship competition. He got $20,000. Um, a lot of people were rallying behind him. And he, at some point went into like the, uh, oh yeah, so he was doing that. And so that's when I was like meeting with him. And so in that time frame, I had started working at UVA and I, and I had this like, these conversations with 500 students. Um, and I found like four of them who were in that first category. And I said to them, hey, do you, do you all like wanna, do you wanna meet each other? Cause like, I think you'd really like each other. Um, and then I invited this student who wasn't quite, quite there yet. Cause you know, he's gonna go to med school. He wasn't trying to be an entrepreneur. And so they met. And so he was like a minority around these other students that were like really, really, really entrepreneurial. And after that dinner, um, I remember one of them standing up and he was like, hey, I, I gotta go, but um, can we do this next week again? Right. And so we did, and we did it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And um, the student with the uh, reproductive uh, interest, right. Over time, you know, he was, he, he realized working with these other entrepreneurs that like, he wanted to do this, this was possible. And that maybe actually cats and dogs isn't the way to go. A lot of vet techs were like, yeah, no, we, we don't, we don't need to do this. Um, it's, it wouldn't really make sense. Like for our, I forget exactly what the reason was, but they were like, a lot of them were female and a lot of them were like, but like, could I get this for my husband? <laughs> and he thought it was a joke at first, right? Um, and so like, that's sort of the, the beginning of the story that like a lot of people, you know, came in, you know, our, our whole community basically has at this point helped in this entrepreneur's journey. But he got funded by Y Combinator, um, but he moved back here to Charlottesville. Um, and he's, I think he raised either a Series A or a Series B. And they're currently doing the last step, I believe, in order to get this product out to humans, men who, uh, who need a, a, a contraceptive that is um, non-hormonal, non-surgical and reversible. And so like, that's, I mean, there's a great story there. That's um, crazy. But I also, I'm going to caveat that with like, I don't know, maybe he would have done it anyways, right? Would he have done it in Charlottesville? No, but uh, I think he's, you know, one of the flagship companies that's here. And what's great about that is that then he gave back to more entrepreneurs in the community. And since then we've, you know, seen a lot more people come up um, because of the the work that he's done giving back to the entrepreneurship community. Hmm. I feel like this is just an assumption, but I feel like that type of person would probably be more willing to give back to the community rather than the person who already like naturally has those skills. I don't know. That's just a guess, but. That, oh, that's exactly right. Not uh, a little tangent, but I think this is important. Something else I noticed when I was uh, talking to some of the alums of our university and other university entrepreneurship professionals was that the, stu the students who had been super entrepreneurial at the university would often be kind of like they wanted to move fast. They wanted to break things. They wanted to like just get stuff done. And one of those alums, I'll just tell the story, is uh, uh, our famous alum, um, Alexis Ohanian from Reddit, right? He's... Uh, married to Serena Williams. He was in the Royal Wedding. Um, he has a venture capital firm that's just like breaking boundaries all, all over the place with like uh, non-traditional types of people in venture capital and, and technology. Um, you know, Reddit, he was one of the co-founders of. Reddit, you know, I think it's worth billions at this point, right? <laughs> he was in the first batch of Y Combinator. Um, when he was at UVA, uh, he, oh, he posted about this on LinkedIn like last year. So like a decade decade and a half after he graduated to his hundreds of thousands of followers. He said, when I was at the University of Virginia, there was one entrepreneurship class in the comm school. And I asked if I could sit in on it. I'm paraphrasing here, right? You go find okay. it, but he's like, and they said, 
no, you can't, you have to be, you know, in this program or whatever, you're not allowed to. And so I don't know, remember exactly what the post said, but he said, and because of this, because of obstacles like this, that people put in my way, where they're supposed to be there to help me. That's why I made Reddit. That's why I've been successful, you know, and it's, it's these failures, right? It's the no's that you have to push through that, like, that give you this almost like negative motivation or whatever he calls it. He also yeah. talks about this in his book. Um, but he's done other things. Like he was trying to create an, an alumni student connection platform, I think. And the university, and again, this is maybe hearsay, right? But like the university apparently sent him a cease and desist letter because he was using their name and logo. Oh so God. like, that's one way to treat your entrepreneurs. And that's how, like, that's one story of many that I've heard like so many times. That's pretty drastic, right? But like at the minor level, there's just like a lot of friction between the kinds of people who are working within a university who are there to create long-term lasting institutions that work for the majority of people and entrepreneurs, right? Who want to like make things like increment, not incrementally better, but like evolutionarily better right? or re revolutionary better. That's right. Revolutionarily better. Um, and so something happened after 2015 in that. I don't know what it was, but this the UVA entrepreneurs, you know, coming through and graduating, they're very much want to be part of it and give back to the students that are there. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a great shift to have. And I think part of that goes back to what we were talking about before, which is some of the traits are difficult to instill in an entrepreneur. And maybe they would have just done that otherwise, regardless of how much, you know, positive reinforcement or negative obstacles they face. But the skills and the community around it, all of that seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, but all that seems very malleable and that you can build that up in people and in a group of people to try and, you know, push them to go beyond what they were going to do in the entrepreneurship space in general, which is what the story was about the, uh, you know, the fertility part, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Um I mean, it's really, it's really hard to make programs like this. I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I, I want to be charitable to the, the organizations that are out there, right? Uh, it's hard to justify spending a lot of money per student, right? When, like, you're working with such a small amount, even though they have the capacity, right, to actually endow these entrepreneurial mindset, right, in other students that are around them. I call it the, uh, the intentional design of peer influences. It's much easier to justify large programs like classes. It's much easier to justify to, like, a donor, like, hey, we'll build a building with entrepreneurship. But these... Well, they might look good and are easy to fund um, and it's easy to hand wave arguments on like how effective they are. Right. They're not, they're not what's actually going to move the needle that's out there. So maybe we could transition. I don't know if you have any questions, but like it might be more useful to like, hey, if you want to use these kinds of like mechanisms that I've been talking about, like how could a student, you know, go and create this for themselves? Um, I think that might be the way forward, you know, being so super resourceful because no one's going to go out there and hand you, you know, exactly the program you need to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, let's pivot over there, which is if, if you're a student and you have these ideas and maybe your university has some of these things and maybe they don't, what are the things that you can do exactly? Yeah. Um, so basically you, they say your network is your net worth, right? That's pretty commonly out there, but that is the probably the single biggest asset to an entrepreneur is just knowing a lot of people and having some of these relationships. They don't have to be super deep, but they have to be like cultivated over time. Um, and so just like going out and meeting a ton of people who can, you know, bring, you know, you'll, you'll learn from them a lot of ideas and treating everybody you meet as if they have something they can teach you. And I go further than that, treating everybody you meet as if they know and can teach you the one thing that's going to make 
you wildly successful in what you want to do. Hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah. Wildly interested in them, right? Um, and so this this forms like meaningful, you know, friendships, you know, meaningful connections and all that. It helps you identify uh, high quality opportunities uh, that's out, out there. Um, and so like that that's, I think that what I would say uh, to do. And then as you find people who are like also interested in like doing stuff, right? They've, they've got something about them that's like driving them. Maybe keep them closer, right? Work on some projects with them, collaborate, try to like, you know, make these things out there in the world. Uh, you don't have to grind 80 hours a week, you know, like a Gary Vaynerchuk, right? But just like play with ideas, build things. And you never know, you know, over time, like you're going to find the perfect co-founder through something like that. You're going to find the perfect idea to work on that you're excited about and the person that you want to work with is excited about. Um, and a university, there's no better place than a university to find such a great group of people who have been pre-selected because they want to be there to learn or at least better their lives economically. Yeah, absolutely. And so was there any uh, analysis and looking at, so being surrounded by people who are resourceful and who are starting their own ventures is definitely awesome. But is there any difference between people who are building something or have built something that's successful versus people who have encountered some obstacles and had to start a couple different companies and go back and forth? Like, was there anything about having a benefit from people who have failed and people who have succeeded around you? Um, so I, I, I think you need to more look like, look at like, are they the kinds of people who are trying to uh, almost like approach it the right way to, mm. to learn continuously, to make like small little bets and iterate. And like, these are, these are popular entrepreneurship approaches. And so like, Someone who's successful, who just got super lucky um, and just happened to make the right thing you know, the first time, I don't think actually that's as valuable. Right. Um, um, and it's also rarer. Most people who find that kind of wild success, they failed a lot of times first. Um, and I'd even go further. And it's like a lot of people who have been successful, especially with startups, if you listen to like the How I Built This podcast, yep. very few set out to be entrepreneurs. Yep. Instead, they were doing something that they enjoyed, and then one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, it was a billion-dollar company. There's an interview with Mark Zuckerberg that Y Combinator did. Mark Zuckerberg, right? <laughs> In which he said that when he was a student at Harvard with his friends, they were working on the Facebook, right? They had met Peter Thiel, and Peter Thiel gave them like $200,000, flew them out to San Francisco to work on the um, uh, on the uh, the idea, the project for the summer. And Mark says something like, he's like, even after that, like we were still going to go back to Harvard. We were like, this is going to be a fun project, but we're going back to Harvard. And by the end of the summer, that's when he was like, oh, I can't go back to Harvard. We have this thing is just so big. <laughs> like we have to keep going with this. Um, so, you know, like, so I think that's really great because it takes the pressure off of being an entrepreneur. Right. And it's more of like, we just can't help but do this. And we're creating value for the people around us. Um. So we've talked a lot about individual entrepreneurs, but what have you seen with teams? Like what are the common threads between successful teams and non-successful teams? Yeah, well, uh, one of the things you'll hear if you listen to any like VC or angel investor, the early stages, even the later stages, it's all about team. What's the team <laughs> one, right? It's the team. <laughs> and so uh, I think that a, lo a lot of the most successful companies out there were, were not a solo founder. They had two founders or three founders. It's rarely more than three. Um, and so one pitfall is that people think, oh, well, in order to have a successful company, I need to find a co-founder. And 
that's like being like, I need to get married and I need to find whoever happens to sort of fit the superficial uh, things that I need. <laughs> right. And that, that's not good. Right. Because like you're going into this very long term relationship and there's a lot more that needs to happen in that. And so I, I would caution anybody, you know, who hears that and is like, I need a team. Otherwise, I can't be an entrepreneur. If you find the right person. Excellent. But you can be very successful without without a team. Um, that said, what looks what a good team has is um, they have the ability to resolve conflict. It's not that they're always agreeing. It's that like they will fiercely disagree, right, sometimes, and then have a process for coming to uh, a way forward. And then once they decide, they commit to it. Mm -hmm. um, one of Amazon's leadership principles is, uh, well, I actually have them up here. I'm trying to look at it, but it's, uh, is, where is it? Have backbone, disagree, and commit. So that's literally one of the, the ways that Amazon try to be putting these in, into their teams. Um, and so like, that's what a really great team looks like on the, on the founding stage. Um, they can they can work together, it can solve problems together. Um, entrepreneurship is one big failure after another. And so if the first sign of failure, you you guys fall apart and like screaming at each other, that's that's not good. If you have resentment toward each other based on like ways someone like works, it's like, oh, you know, like we agreed we'd be here like 9 a.m. every day to get started on this. And like he's always walking in 920, right? Like, and you don't ever talk about it, right? Like that's a recipe for disaster. And that's that's actually like a, a small thing that can lead to bigger issues like way down the road. So that's that's another thing. So the second thing is um is uh is having they will say like functional functional diversity in skills. So like you got the business person and then you got the coder. And so what I what I see a lot of times is like there's engineering teams who are like, oh, we need to hire an MBA. Let's go to Darden and like go find an MBA student to like join our team. Or the MBA students more often are like, well, we need someone to build this. Let's to find one of those like brilliant undergrads you know to go help us out there and it's like yes that's important but actually what's way more important is that first one which is trust and familiarity it doesn't matter how skilled that person is if you guys cannot work together and you don't have that foundation of trust and familiarity that team's just a no-go um and so those are two things when we were applying to y combinator um people were telling us that that the 10 minute mock interview we were supposed to convey one is that our team uh can work really well together and we've done we've overcome hardships together in the past and can move past it um and then the second one is that we can make progress rapidly on whatever the product needs to be so we've, we've done that or traction if it's like users or customers we can do that really quickly and we have the skills to be able to do it moving forward so um, if it is a, a, a piece of software, um, many people prefer that the, that the uh, founders can build the software themselves rather than someone who has to raise money and go hire a, a tech team. Now there's cases where like that could work, but obviously the least risky way is to have someone who's you know, able to build the product themselves. So that's, that's what I'd say about um, good teams. Yeah, so basically just to summarize that, it, it seems like a lot of, going back to the tra the traits and the skills, a lot of the traits of the founders are similar, or at least they work well together and that they can resolve that conflict, that they could look at things long-term and not get spooked by an initial failure, but maybe they have more diversity in terms of the skills or what they bring to the table for the actual product or the service or whatever they're building. Yeah. And I mean, you, you got to remember like skills can be learned, right? right. It's well, But if the interest isn't there, right? Or the ability to like the growth mindset of like, oh, I want to learn this, right? For this, then it's really hard to fix that in a, in a team right you got to have the the engine at least underneath you going that you have the motivation to acquire whatever you don't have even if you don't have it at, at the particular moment yeah yeah 
And so are most of the the teams, each of them are ones, or do you sometimes see where there are a couple of ones and there's a two that's kind of getting brought up along the curve with them? Uh, I mean, I'd say people are always, they're always in different different modes. Maybe it's rare that you would find someone who's like super engaged, able to stay on a team <clears throat> with other people who are not as engaged. There's just like a different, it's like a, a lifestyle, a mindset that's around there that just like, the ones who are like really engaged, they're like attracted to each other like like crazy <laughs> because they're so rare to find. Um, but I'd say, you know, a team that's, you know, in that second category where they're like, they're putting in the work, um, you know, they, they become sort of like that over time. It's just that when I use that framework because like I'm working with full-time students who like, they're working on this on the side. So like, how do you actually get them over to put in enough work or, you know, effort to actually find something that will be successful at the end of the day yeah no that, that's really interesting so how are you um so most of this is, is process over outcome right These, there are ways that you're looking at um how to approach entrepreneurship how to build the teams how to look at what your product could be as opposed to looking at what the immediate result is but how are you um eventually defining the the success of a particular program is it the amount of entrepreneurs that are being produced or the success of the companies themselves like what are you looking at to as an indicator that this is actually working right well that you know that's uh, beauty is in the eye of the, of the holder so like <laughs> that needs to be defined outright many programs don't do that um for me mine is like does this founder have you know uh a successful startup, you know, by the end of the day, is, is this value creating? Um, but I mean, also for success for me, for someone is that like, does somebody realize that like maybe entrepreneurship isn't for them, right? But they're still able to live a life where um, where they are doing things every day that they love doing, right? And they're doing it with people they like doing it with. For me, that's that's a success for me professionally. And I would hope that um, these entrepreneurial skills and traits and all that allow someone to be able to live that life. For some, it might be working for themselves, starting a billion dollar company, right? Yeah. Um, but for others, it might be working at a at a at a, a larger organization where again they get to do everything things they like doing with people they like doing with. It's not 100 percent of the time. You're not gonna always like live in fantasy land. But you know, having that as a majority of your time would be pretty successful. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, all right. So I, I also have to ask, because as you were going through and telling your story, there are some really like striking similarities to obviously, you know, Chip Ransler, who yeah, we have on yeah, yeah. the podcast. Like there are certain moments that there are really similar points that you both had. I mean, not this is the craziest thing, but both you guys were into music and like have these, these other passions and philosophy outside of kind of the hard disciplines that you were studying. And then even mm -hmm. in the, the story about having a couple of founders come together over dinner and then kind of starting a smaller group. Um, and then both getting into business school for right. free and like, oh, should I do it? Should I not? That's the same <laughs> thing too. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I was just, there are a lot of similarities there. So I was wondering if there was anything that you think that, that you and him have in common or that you and other people who are trying to help the entrepreneurs have in common. Because what if you're a student listening right now where you're saying maybe entrepreneurship isn't for me, but I love <laughs> these ideas and I want to apply them as well. So what do you say to, to that person? Yeah, well, so one thing you might notice is that uh, there's a lot of different disparate interests. And I, I see that a lot from really you know smart people at the at the university. Um, 
I think the root of that is just a uh, a deep trait of being curious, mm -hmm. right? And so if you're not, not naturally curious, I think humans are naturally curious, right? So let's just say like, if you've got a lower level if you, of a, or like lower expression, you have your curiosity right now, I would say that the number one thing, if you were to work on anything is to continue to be curious and follow threads that are like minorly interesting, right? Cause like that, those end up being the most fulfilling things out there. So one time it was music. So for me, right. I noticed that like, it wasn't really music that I liked. It was the working directly with people and providing a positive experience for them. Hmm. Right. And I liked working with musicians, right. Where, uh, musicians are are they're, they're expressing something that's so deep inside of them right they, they have this like inner drive and motivation to produce something in the outside world that comes from uh something that's in there so like for me that's where i found what i was interested in and so going back to the decision making process it's like staying uh attuned to yourself right and watching those signals of what you're interested in uh and maybe doing less of the things you're not as interested in like asking yourself why being super reflective um, these are all really good practices that are going to help you be a better entrepreneur, but also be just a better, live a better life, right? <laughs> At the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. Have Have you read Range by uh, David Epstein? I have not, but okay. so, I've heard that. So it sounds like a <laughs> a good thing yeah. to take. Chip had it in his office. Yeah, Chip, yeah, Chip did have it in his office. <laughs> um, I would definitely recommend it. It's all about successful people. In, it's like, it's kind of dispelling the myth of like the, the 10,000 hours from Malcolm Gladwell, which is that in certain environments that works in golf, that works in chess, that works because you get immediate feedback. It's a kind learning environment, yeah. is what he calls it. But he says that basically everything else and that life in general is a wicked learning environment. And so the more experiences that you have in disparate areas and like the broader your knowledge base to, to draw on, the better you're able to specialize in one thing eventually, if that's what you're trying to do. So in a lot of, you know, athletic or other pursuits, it's actually having a playing six different sports and then deciding that this is the one for me that really leads to the specialization and the success rather than I'm going to just study this one thing for the rest of my life and I'm going to start now and that's it. So that, that definitely seems to relate to what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Um, I, I'm going to have to go pretty soon, but like, I'd love yeah. to, <laughs> to, um, Give some final thoughts but maybe like do you have any like outstanding questions that you think are just burning uh no i mean if you if you have some other points that you want to hit then um you know we'd be happy to hear and if we can always do a part two yeah if, if you're for it yeah we, we should we should um i would say you know one of the one of the big things that i've seen working with so many young smart people who are interested in changing the world is that they always want to they're trying to plan. They're trying to make sure they're using their time the most efficient and effective way. They're going to get to their goal as fast as possible. And it's just not the way, that's not the way life works. <laughs> and so if you were asking me like how, if I were to say like, how would you identify like the best thing for you to go after, or, like how to get a good idea, mm -hmm. um, the best maybe analytical way that I've ever seen <clears throat> is from Peter Thiel. And he asks um, people in his book, uh, Zero to One, he says, uh, ask yourself, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Mm -hmm. That question is really hard because you probably don't know the answer. Um, I know what my answer is. I just spent this entire uh, time talking about it and I've screamed out in the void and yet nobody nobody has taken me up on this idea, uh, really. So 
most of the really great ideas that are out there sound ridiculous or the opposite of what you should do um, to most people. Think about Airbnb, right? It's like, yeah, strangers stay on your couch. That's totally going to be something everybody does. <laughs> Even Paul Graham in Y Combinator, right? He he laughed at them. He was like, this is ridiculous. Do you guys have any other ideas? Right. So um, that's the best analytical way, but I don't think you can really come to that unless you have a lot of this self-reflective work done and you've like really been thinking about this for like five years or a decade. So don't don't hurt yourself, you know, trying to come up with what that was. And I say that, you know, not in a, not in a, a degrading way, but it's like, that's what happened to me. Like I spent a long time being like, what, what is my answer to this question? The best way to get a good idea is actually this process that both Chip and I teach, actually. It comes from Dart and it's called effectuation, which I'm not going to go into, but it's basically more of a wayfinding way where you start with where you are and where you're strong in and you'd be like, what can I do next? And like, just go after it. And then when you're there, you're like, okay, now that I have this and I've done this, what can I do next? And over time, you'll get to the right place. So uh, be curious and take it one step at a time. Um and you'll, you're going to do exactly, you're going to provide a lot of value out there in the world and help a lot of people. Thanks for listening to this episode of Learning Out Loud. If you found anything useful, please share with a friend to help us grow. We'd also appreciate it if you could rate us five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next week with a new episode.